podcast. Today we have Dr. Raj Gupta with us. He is a quadruple board certified physician with expertise in pulmonology and critical care in sleep medicine. Dr. Raj is a frequent guest host on the TV show The Doctors and has been seen on many media outlets, including Larry King and many others. Dr. Raj is here with us to speak on the topic of sleep medicine today. So we talk about the foundations you need to know about sleep, some practical advice that you can apply to your life to sleep better, and just general things that you really should know about your sleep. So without further ado, here's Dr. Raj. Before I go right into it, a little bit about me is that if you want to hang out with me, I'm at USC in Southern California. The weather is always nice down here, so we are so spoiled, you know. Yeah, you guys are. Uh, it's freezing. <laughs> it's freezing here in Michigan. I know, I know. <laughs> but I am the assistant program director for internal medicine at USC. And like you said already, I do pulmonary, I do critical care, and I do sleep <clears throat> medicine. And I've been very fortunate that sleep is something that's so essential right now. It's kind of plugging me into the media. And I always start off by saying this is that you know when I think about total sleep time that's usually where it begins you know that's always the controversy you know the American Academy of Sleep Medicine which I believe in you know states that we need around seven to eight hours of sleep per night and you know and I know that's not easy to get yeah but what's very interesting is that total sleep time has decreased as we go through the decades yes. so when we talk about the baby boomers you know they were kind of averaging around seven to eight hours of sleep uh-huh. then we go to generation X right here you know yeah. and we lost a little bit and now we're going to the millennials and total sleep time has decreased almost to six to seven hours per night and you know what rami when we have this conversation again in another 50 years who knows what total sleep time <laughs> and you know and, and you know when you talk about total sleep time it kind of leads into sleep deprivation and that's the bigger picture you know and i always start off by saying nothing good happens when you're sleep deprived. No matter who your target audience is going to be, whether it's going to be the med student, whether it's going to be mom and dad at home raising kids, you you don't want to be sleep deprived. And the question is, what can we do to prevent? Because it's not as easy as people think, you know? Yes, yes, 100%. So Dr. Raj, before we dive into all like, yeah, all this practical advice that I know you're going to share with us, <laughs> I want I want to inform on audi- our audience yeah. on the basics of sleep, you know, like create a strong sure. foundation so that they at least know what what things are going on when you're sleeping, you know, maybe some of our sure. maybe our sleep cycle habits and you know just giving them the, the basic oh, info that they need. All right. You want me to go back to some medical school stuff, I see. Just all just right. the basics <laughs> that they should know as a foundation. Yeah. Sure. So, I think the big question is one day someone's going to figure out exactly why do we sleep? We know what the manifestations are if you don't sleep. We know about sleep deprivation, but that's the million dollar question. And it has a lot to do with essential hormones. It has a lot to do with resting our body physically and mentally. But when we talk about sleep, we have two main parts, what's called non-REM and REM. Non-REM has three stages, N1, N2, and N3. And you know what the N stands for, Rami? I do not. Non-REM. <laughs> oh, non-REM, non-REM. Yes, I knew Everyone that part. Everyone always asks me that. And, then the, and the other stage is going to be REM sleep. And when I describe REM sleep to, to anyone, I always think about that's the stage where you have these vivid HD TV-like dreams, you know? Right. But here's a little pearl for your viewers, Rami. Do you know what stage of sleep you can dream in? REM sleep. The well, answer is any, all any, stages. Yeah, any. Everyone always yeah. forgets that. Yeah. You know, you get the HD TV dreams and REM sleep, but you know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you're like, 
I know I dreamt. I know, but you can't really remember. It's kind of like VHS beta recording. Right. Well, that those are like those non-REM states of dreams, you know. So when we talk about our sleep cycle, we start off in the lighter stages, like N1. We stay there for around five to ten percent of our total sleep time. We go into N2, and for your med students listening, we spend the majority of time in N2 sleep, mm-hmm. around fifty percent of that time. Then we go into what's called N3, also known as Delta sleep because you see delta waves when I'm doing a sleep study. Also referred to as slow wave sleep. And the interesting thing about this slow wave sleep is that as you get older, you lose this slow wave N3 sleep. We have most of it when we're kids. And you want to know an interesting pearl? Is that a very special hormone gets secreted during N3 sleep? It's Growth hormone. Okay. And that's why, what did our parents always tell us? You need to get sleep when you're young. You need to get sleep. They knew it. They knew it. And then after that, we go into REM sleep. And our first REM cycle happens around 90 to 120 minutes into sleep. It's very short. And you get more REM as you go towards the morning, which is why when you and I wake up in the morning, chances are we wake up from a what? A dream. Yep. Yeah, you got it. So, and what happens is we go through this cycle over and over again. And my pet peeve when we talk about getting good sleep is the two cues. Number one, I kind of hinted already, quantity of sleep. That's why it always starts off total sleep time. The second is always going to be quality of sleep. So when we mention quality, are you going to those deeper stages? Are you getting M3? Are you getting REM? Or are you right. having disorders? that keep on arousing you from going to those deeper stages. How's that for a little summary of the basic science? That's perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) I'd even like to ask you, what do you think of the stages? I know that they're all equally important, but what's the most important stage of sleep for, for just generally feeling refreshed in the morning? Excellent, excellent. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. So number one is that if you want to be a little more alert and vibrant in the morning, you want to wake up during the lighter stages of sleep. They're not the most important. So there are many apps out there that you put under your bed or non-contact apps that say, hey, when you're in a lighter stage, we'll wake you up. Because I just did an episode for our favorite show, The Doctors. Yep. And the question was, should you hit that snooze button? <laughs> so, and the answer is most sleep doctors would say no. Why? Think of the snooze button as a box of chocolates. When you hit it in the morning, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, if you wake up in the lighter stages of sleep, start your day, get out of bed, get sunlight, you know? Yeah. But let's say you hit the snooze button and it goes in the REM, because what did I say? You get more REM in the morning. Yeah. That's when you have a word called sleep inertia. You need that. It's so hard to get started. You need that cup of coffee in the morning. So the answer is that you want to wake up during the lighter stages. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. I just wanted to say this because when I wake up naturally and like I don't need an alarm, I feel so refreshed. And then Mm -hmm. later other times when I, you know, have an alarm set and like I know I'll be having like the most amazing sleep and then I have to wake up. It's really hard. It is. And, you know, and it's funny because back to that segment about the snooze button alarm clock, when I first heard about the segment, my instinct was thinking the alarm is a big clock with two little bells on each side that kind of ring, you know? Yeah. And that's not what people use an alarm nowadays. I felt kind of old, you know? Rami, what do you use for an alarm? Uh, My phone. 
there you go. Yeah. And that's the problem right there. If you're yeah. asking me what gives you better sleep, put technology away, yeah. you know, because the minute you're in arm's distance from that cell phone, and what is my favorite phrase to everyone? We have this Pavlovian reflex that we have to be at arm's distance from our phone. Oh, Who's yeah. texting me? Who's Instagramming me? You yeah. know, so yeah. you got to put it away. So for the alarm, put the cell phone on the other side of the room. You, you know, know? <laughs> I noticed something very interesting just recently um, because I've been so, because we have, especially my generation, we're so consumed with social media and, you know, being on our phones all the time. And I'm very active on my Instagram and try to communicate a lot. And I've been getting more and more messages as my accounts got grown and like more people have tried connecting and things like that. Yeah. So recently I did something different where I deleted the Instagram app off my phone and okay. only activate it at, you know, like two or three hours before I go to bed and check everything and then tur- then delete the app again. And I've noticed oh. since doing that, I've been so much less attached to my phone. And I've even noticed that I'm like sleeping better because I'm not waiting. Sometimes I'll get up really early in the morning and check my app and see messages. <laughs> and I notice like that's in the back of my mind sometimes, even when I'm going to sleep, which is really crazy. Now, you, you hit around the head. You know, you got to transition into sleep. We could talk about the physical parts of it over and over again, you know. So, for example, you know, you heard about blue light, right? Blue light, Have you heard yeah. of it? Yeah, I heard yeah, that's, of it. That's a big topic that, you know, cell phones, blue light for your listeners actually is a wavelength of light in normal sunlight. It's just in very, very high concentrations when you talk about tablets and cell phones. Yeah. And the key thing is, is that blue light especially suppresses melatonin and melatonin is a hormone secreted by your pineal gland that you need to sleep so there's these apps that call blue light shade and filter and what are we encouraging we're saying that hey it's okay to use your cell phone it's okay to watch a movie just use the app and that's not what good how you approach technology it's what you said which is you know to transition to sleep i when you had that cell phone you're thinking about looking at the news Mm-hmm. You're thinking about maybe should I respond to a relative, a friend, my med school, this test. You can't be relaxed mentally doing that. So let me talk about a very interesting article that you would love. Mm-hmm. Did you know that in I believe it was the uh, one of the sleep medicine journals, they did a research that people who watch, uh, who binge watch actually have poor sleep. What a surprise. Like binge watch Netflix. Oh, I didn't want to say the word Netflix because uh, it wasn't geared towards yeah. Netflix, but it seems that's our natural response when every time you hear we're binge watching, yeah. you know? And so when I when I hear that when I read about this story, you know, this article, it's like, well, no duh, we knew that. Mm-hmm. But it goes to what you're saying. The reason why people have trouble sleeping is because you're cognitively aroused. Uh-huh. And you watch some of the shows, and I gotta tell you, Rami, I'm not afraid to say I love Stranger Things. You know? <laughs> yep. I finished and, that's one of the very few Netflix episodes that I've actually finished. <laughs> yeah, the and you know, you know, the thing is, is kind of like when you want to go to bed, but my wife and I are like, we're so just indulged into the characters. What's going to happen? You know, you can't just go to bed, you know. So it's like you said, you got to turn off technology. You got to relax. You got to transition to sleep. Turn off your Instagram app like you're doing. Those are all good things. And so my wife and I did a, an experiment. Do you know how many seconds you get after one Netflix show ends before the other one automatically starts? Oh, like 30 seconds. 
oh, you're so nice, Rom. Five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so they're oh, setting that. you up for disaster, yeah. you know? And then, you know, after this, uh, our conversation. they give you a preview, too, so, like, you can't miss <laughs> it. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. So it's funny, and I want you to look this up when we're done. There was also a study that showed people who binge watch have a higher rate of DVTs, deep vein thrombosis, oh, wow. clotting in the leg. I can imagine, because you're probably <laughs> laying and you're sitting in bed not moving for a while. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's scary, you know, and it tells me that, uh, you know, number one, wow, the programming is getting pretty good on these uh, these shows yeah. that we're getting DVTs because of it and we're losing sleep of it. Wow, but crazy. it's just but it's like you said, it's, you know, when you talk about sleep nowadays, you have to know your audience and your audience. My audience is going to be millennials now. Yeah. And one of my classic things I always think about is. Good sleep hygiene is something called stimulus control. When you're in the bed and you can't sleep for 15 to 20 minutes, leave the bed, do things that are non-stimulating in dim light. Mm -hmm. So my instinct is always, well, go read a book, you know? But if you tell a millennial to go read a book, Rami, be honest, will they go to the library and pick up a copy of Moby Dick? No, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Very highly unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're gonna take out your cell phone, and yeah. they'll next, you know, that or that the iPad book, or like Kindle, you said, or the iPad, and that leads to what Twitter and Instagram and being yeah. frustrated. So I think once again, big push about knowing your target audience, and really, technology has been such a double-edged sword when we talk about getting good sleep and preventing us from sleeping well. Right, right, mm-hmm. Doctor Ash. One second, I just gotta yeah. plug in my computer because it's gonna die. One second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. So besides, we've, we've talked a, a lot about the, the major causes of poor sleep, you know, Netflix, uh, blue light, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So why is sleep so important? How does it affect our health? And, you know, how do we combat that? So uh, let's let's talk about health. I'm I'm kind of in the dorky mood to talk about medicine right yeah, now. Yeah. So you know, I, I see a lot of patients. My patients, they work hard to exercise during the day, eat well, take their medications if necessary. But there's a whole eight hours at night that affect what happens during the day. So when we talk about not getting good sleep, like sleep deprivation, we talk about what 20 million Americans have obstructive sleep apnea. Yes. You know untreated sleep deprivation will affect what we do during the day. To really make it simple for your listeners, it's about, you can imagine if you're not sleeping well, you're having multiple arousals, all these stress hormones are going to increase. I mean, the big one's always going to be cortisol. And when you have high levels of cortisol, guess what happens to your blood sugars? They go up. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens to your blood pressure? It goes up. Mm -hmm. And diabetes is the most deadliest risk factor for coronary artery disease and stroke. Mm -hmm. Hypertension is the most common risk factor for coronary artery disease and stroke. And it amazes me how we don't focus on that as much as we should sometimes. People always ask me, hey, Dr. Raj, um, let's say I don't have a treated sleep disorder, like sleep apnea per se. Uh, You know, can I die from that right now? And the answer is Yes, because if you have untreated sleep apnea, you can imagine that your cognition's right there, you're driving on the road. And Rami, how many times have you been on a freeway and you're next to that big truck? You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? Yeah. You're yeah. like, dear God, please make that guy have not untreated sleep apnea. <laughs> because all it takes is one little yeah. move and, and you could die. Yeah. So I try really, to just 
get right past them. <laughs> That's what they do. My, my wife's like, step on it. Go, go, go. So, yeah. and so there are acute consequences that we don't think about, you know, and think about some of the natural disasters that happen in our world, not even our country, the Exxon Valdez, you know. So all these disasters that could happen have been associated with sleep deprivation. How about like the uh, the train accident in New Jersey? Yeah. That there's so many big things. So it, it, there's acute problems, but yes, chronically, it really affects it. And let me give you a couple of other examples for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Number one, untreated sleep apnea, sleep deprivation affects your memory. And that's why so many students see me. Why? Because taking a test when you're sleep deprived, not having your memory, not being on your A game, not having the cognitive skill, it affects your immune system when yeah. you're sleep deprived. And Right now, we're having one of the most horrendous flu seasons. I'm telling you. Yeah, everybody. I feel like everyone I know has had it at some point this year. And and you know when you're sleep deprived, your immune system's down. And to be a little dorky, there are actually studies that have shown that people get vaccines when they're sleep deprived. The vaccines don't take as well. Hmm. And there have been studies that show that the higher incidence of you know viral vac- uh, infections when you are sleep deprived. So it's a strong part of it. So do everything you can to be on your A game by getting that good sleep. Awesome. How, so how would people know if they have obstructive sleep apnea or some? kind of thing that's really like an uh, underlying health condition that's affecting their sleep what are what are like the key signs to that oh amazing i love these questions so a couple <laughs> so I, I just had another episode on the doctors the other day and this one was interesting this one was about there is an app out there on your phone non-contact that's pro- excuse me proclaiming that they could detect sleep apnea by putting your phone at your bedside hmm. go figure yeah <laughs> so the answer is this is that if you suspect sleep apnea, in the olden days, we kind of made this stereotype that everyone with obstructive sleep apnea looks like Jabba the Hutt. Are you a Star Wars fan? <laughs> I am not, not too big. I, I wish I was, actually, because there's always all these references that I can't connect to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jabba the Hutt was actually uh, one of the creatures that had a big, thick neck, and he was definitely obese. So that's what we always think about when we think of obstructive sleep apnea. But the truth is, people with sleep apnea look like you and me, Rami. You know why? Where is the obstruction? It's not in the gut. Right. It's around the neck. It's your tonsils if you have them, your epiglottis, your soft palate. So we're starting to think outside the box. But what are some of the classic things I think about? You know, if you're snoring, think about sleep apnea. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. everyone who snores has sleep apnea. That's not true at all. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely a, a risk factor. Having a thick neck circumference. Having one of your loved ones say, you know what? I don't really care if you snore but they say the magic words you're choking yeah you are gasping or they Mm -hmm. say you stop breathing so those are key buzzwords that say you need to get treated so let me go on and say this back to the app so why am i happy with this technology is that traditionally if you suspect sleep apnea in someone that you go an in-lab sleep study i don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever seen one rami but they have all these eegs on their head and devices you look like frankenstein (laughs) and pretty much don't sleep during the sleep study yeah you know so it's called first night effect it's costly it's timely so a big thing now is home sleep studies and they really are game changers for some individuals but mm-hmm. it seems like the next evolution in sleep apnea testing is an app a non-contact app right. they're using sonar for movement they're using a snore mic i, I don't have the algorithm uh-huh. but my take-home message on the tv show which i'm going to tell to your fans are going to be number one is that if the app says you have sleep apnea go mm-hmm. run and see a doctor get tested yeah but even if the app says you don't 
go run and see a doctor and get tested because yeah. it's a win-win because the technology is not FDA approved. It's still in the in the, in the early stages. Right. But if you ask me that when we talk about apps that encourage movement, apps that encourage better sleep, I'm on board with them. Right. And I think this is going to be the next stage in evolution. How about apps like, okay, so I have a Fitbit and I, I, wear, it at, I wear it at night and I can track my sleep. And I, I do it for like weeks at a time. I do. I did it when I first got it because I wanted to get a baseline of where my sleep is at. And I want. I was always. My question was always, how accurate is this? Like, how can this little device that's on my, like on my wrist, tell me all these things about my sleep? Which blows my mind. Number one. <laughs> and number two, it, it gives you like the benchmarks of how much REM sleep you're getting, how much deep sleep, how much light sleep, and. I was wondering, okay, where where are these benchmarks coming from? And then just how, how accurate do you think that device is or like devices like that? That's a great question. So let me start off by saying that uh, these Fitbits and Nike Fuel Bands, I can't name, think of all the different ones out there, uh, were based upon something called actigraphy. Actigraphy rhymes with the word activity, and it's like a bracelet that you wear, and it's mm-hmm. FDA approved. And we use these actigraphies to kind of help diagnose insomnia to see if you're really truly sleeping X amount of hours. We help it for circadian rhythm problems to see when you're falling asleep. So the answer is this, is that when we talk about these Fitbit, and I'm only using that as one example, yeah. it's good for one thing. It's called total sleep time. I do feel it's it's pretty accurate for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way it does it is something called an accelerometer. I don't want to act like I know too much because I don't, but that's going to be when you have movement that interprets that you're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. If you're having no movement, they interpret that as sleep. So I think it's a good ballpark for total sleep time, but I like what you said. When they start telling you that the individual stages of sleep, you spent X amount in N one and two and three and REM, it, it kind of leaves me, I don't know. You know, I think that they try to benchmark these against a traditional in-lab sleep study. I think that I won't take too much into that, but I do think it helps out for total sleep time. But, you know, it's funny because I have so many patients nowadays that technology is huge, you know, mm-hmm. and when they come see me. I'm like, well, how are you sleeping? The first thing they do is they put their phone in my face and they're like, look at this. It said I slept 67 percent last night. How is that possible? And mm-hmm. you could imagine most people with insomnia have what? Anxiety. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and nothing gives you more anxiety <clears throat> than when you wake up and your app tells you you slept 67 <laughs> percent. You know, that's really interesting. I had a friend tell me the other day that she became so obsessed with her sleeping patterns that she started uh, like waking up like just like you said that's crazy that she was waking up anxious because she wanted or she was waking up early to check how much how good her sleep was and it was like it was counterproductive and that goes with that that technology is a double-edged sword that it's nice you're getting a number but who who says that is a number who says let's say in that day you had a test and you did okay on your test Mm -hmm. did you truly do okay because it was that 67 percent figure that was on your app or maybe hey some of the questions were pretty hard that time you know what i mean so i think that many of us tend to blame a lot to sleep but of course it's essential and like this is a classic idea where we're using an app to help us but we're also saying on the other side of my cheek Mm -hmm. put technology away you right. know so it's a great conundrum right there so the right. answer is this is that i do like these apps i think there is some merit about it people are using them my patients are using them but you know sometimes you've got to ask the bigger picture that maybe 
you know, there are people out there that look at the app and say 67%, maybe they have untreated sleep apnea, but instead they're taking a sleeping pill as the answer. Right. And that scares me. Yeah. So I think that if you're not having, you know, a good, you know, just by knocking yourself out, you're not addressing the underlying cause. And that's what insomnia is, finding out what the underlying cause is. Exactly. And there's some keys to figuring that out. Like, I know that there's, I know there's a difference that between having trouble falling asleep and then also having trouble staying asleep. And yeah. So I, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? So I think that when you take a good history, so I think these are terminologies I want to ask when I talk about insomnia. And if you ask me what by far is the most common sleep disorder condition, it is insomnia. We've all, we both had it. Everyone has yeah. it. You know? And the thing is, is that it affects patient management. So when someone has so let me just say this. If you were to ask me point blank, what is the best treatment for acute and chronic insomnia? Three letters, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. The problem is, is that you have to be patient. Yeah. It takes months for it to work. And, you know, it only takes one day of screwing things up that you're back to the beginning again. Right. Okay. But it's something that has been proven to be good acutely and chronically. But back to the phrases, if someone says they have sleep onset insomnia, if I were to choose a medication, something that's going to be short acting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's only initiating sleep. They're not having further awakenings. Right. If someone has early morning awakenings, if someone has multiple awakenings throughout the night, maybe you might want to consider something with a longer half-life to keep mm-hmm. them asleep. But once again, the take-home message is try not to give medications. Yeah. We all believe that. And I truly feel that after you know being a doctor for so many years now, Patients really don't want to be on meds. I really, yeah. truly feel yeah. that, you know. Yeah. But if they have to be, these are things that factor in on what medication I choose. Absolutely. Even, my, like, me personally, I don't like taking medications. And I try to think about that when I, in my future practice, when I'm diagnosing patients. I know that I don't want to take these medications, so I'm going to do everything I can to to fix things without having to take any medication. And then, last resort, okay, we'll give it a try. Yeah, I think that's a great tool also. But you mentioned that, okay, if you're having trouble falling asleep, you can try something. Some people might try something and then get very attached to that and, you know, stay with it long term. And there's some detrimental effects to that as well because then you have sort of a dependence. Yeah. So let's talk about the bigger topic, which is going to be what are the categories of medications? I think that's what we're trying to say for insomnia. So I put them into three broad categories. Number one, herbal, because a lot of people believe in over-the-counter herbal remedies. You know, Two is going to be uh, OTCs, over-the-counter prescription uh, drugs that mm-hmm. you can get. And the last is going to be prescription medications. And I think no matter what you choose, you have to tell your primary doctor. You have to know. So let's talk about things that are just herbal. What are the big ones you want me to mention melatonin yeah everyone always asks me about melatonin Mm -hmm. but after that there's gonna be things like valerian root there'll be things like tryptophan things like chamomile so we can go all day with this but the take-home message for your people listening to you is going to be the evidence there are no double-blinded randomized controlled trials what route do you take it what form do you take it what dose do you take it and they do have drug drug interactions you know Mm -hmm. but let me just say one thing about the most common medication which is melatonin the take-home message for everyone listening to this is going to be it's not the dose it's all about the timing when do you take the melatonin Mm. and then 
And what what is that? What is that ultimate time? (laughs) (laughs) So I would say for not giving a big medical lecture for you and me and your listeners Mm -hmm. around two hours before your desired sleep time. So when I hear people saying that, you know, I just take it right before I go to bed and they're going to bed at two or three. Sometimes you can get a paradoxical effect and it can make things worse Mm. because melatonin is secreted through your circadian rhythm per se. So it's all about the timing of when you take it. Uh, And it's really influenced by light. And I want to make sure I say that also. But when we talk about over the counter, there's going to be one thing I think your your listeners want to hear. It's about our good friend, diphenhydramine. Mm -hmm. And most of you are like, what did he just say? Benadryl. Benadryl, yeah. So, <laughs> so when we talk about Benadryl, uh, there was studies out there now that show that it's been associated with Alzheimer's dementia. Oh. And I know, I know, go yeah. figure. So people are always going to ask me, well, why? And so let me give you a little walk through pharmacology, you know, that histamine is an alerting neurotransmitter. So when you inhibit it, it makes you sleepy. That's why antihistamines make you sleepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people always forget that Benadryl contains something called anticholinergic. So just to go through medical school pharmacology, in your brain, everyone, you have these neurons that secrete a protein and neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. You call it ACH. Mm-hmm. It binds to a very specific receptor in your brain called a cholinergic receptor, and that aids in memory. So if you're using something that's anti-cholinergic, you're really blocking one of the essential things that helps out with memory, and that's why chronic long-term use of Benadryl has been associated with that. I know everyone's scared right now, like, oh my god, <laughs> Benadryl get Alzheimer's. And it's not if you do it once in a while, it's chronic use, but it's another thing to realize, even things over the counter are not that benign. Mm. Well, so what would you say to people that are using it regularly for sleep, then? Because are they, are they having some long, are they having some I, the reason I mention this is because I, yeah. I always try, I always relate experiences that I've seen from people or friends that have told me things they've done. And I, I try to ask questions because I think maybe yeah. if that's happened to them, maybe someone else has experienced this. And so, what about someone who has used Benadryl mm-hmm. to actually go to sleep because maybe they've had some things going on or whatever it may sure. be? And then they've kind of become dependent on that. Good point. So number one, let me say this, is that for those who use it periodically, you know what I mean? No problem whatsoever. All of us have acute adjustment insomnia after a death, after a wedding, after you pass the USMLE. You know, there's always going to be the times where you have insomnia. So the answer is, is that you want to get to the root cause. Why are you having this? You know, and we're going to be focusing more on chronic insomnia, not acute, but chronic. You know, why is it happening? Is it from the medications? Is it because you have an underlying, you know, it's your COPD, your lung disease causing it? Is it your heart failure? So you want to get to it. But what is the broader picture here, Rami? The broader picture is that all these medications are called sedative hypnotics. Mm -hmm. And I want all your listeners to actually go to the American Geriatric Society website. There's something called the Beers List. And the Beers List is not a drink of favorite alcohols. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) What this list is, is a list of medications that have bad effects in our elderly patients. And every sedative hypnotic is on that list because as we get older, it can cause falls, it can cause hip fractures, it can cause memory issues. So you have to be careful. Mm -hmm. So for your patients or friends who have been on Benadryl and they seem to be somewhat dependent on it, you know, see a sleep specialist for what are some of the other alternatives. When we talk about, you know, the ones I worry a little bit more about are going to be when we talk about things that work on the GABA, 
receptor. And I know GABA is kind of a medical term, so I apologize for your listeners, but it's one of the major receptors that we use when we talk about insomnia medications. So people who are using this, I'm going to use one more medical word, benzodiazepine-like drugs, things Mm -hmm. like Valium, Ativan, Xanax, Ambien, Sonata, Lunesta. Of course, if you ask me, hey, Dr. Raj, could I be addicted? Of course you can. Could I get tolerance? Of course you can. So you have to be careful, which is why I always try to find the good in people and in other doctors to say most people don't want to be on these medications and they're not benign. It's not wrong if you are Mm -hmm. because I definitely have a lot of patients that are, but it's my job not to be lazy, try to find Mm -hmm. underlying cause and always try to be proactive with them. And if they are on it, you always want to make sure that they're functioning well and they're tolerating medication without side effects. Awesome. I just want to ask one follow-up question. Yeah. How do they how do they recover after that? Uh, well, I would say this. Anytime you're on like a benzodiazepine, you know, I mean, type medication, like in Ambien, Sunata, Lunesta, Ativan, Valium, Xanax, the answer is you can't cold turkey it when you stop it. You definitely want to treat the underlying cause, but you mm-hmm. get some common rebound insomnia. Especially, I'm giving a little dorky because I know you're you're in, you're a medicine guy. So <laughs> if you stop traditional benzodiazepines cold turkey, there could be some serious yeah. side effects, just rebound, seizures, and other things. So yeah. it's so important that the doctor who prescribed it, sleep doctor, psychiatrist, whoever it is, is on board when you stop it also. So that's a very good question. Awesome. Okay, so my next question, I w- so I'm trying to address all the things that are most commonly brought up when we go to sleep. And I know that worry is a big problem for people. Sometimes you're going to bed, you might have a presentation in the morning, you might have some big event, you might have some anxiety built up over it before you go to sleep, and it kind of keeps you up at night. And we've all, I'm sure we've all, I've experienced these things, I'm sure other people have. How do how do you what is your best advice for people going through those times and how can you kind of fix that? That that's a great question. So the answer is there, there's no easy fix. And I always say that for something as simple like sleep, hey, this is get some sleep. It's not that simple. It's one of the most complex things I've ever seen. Yeah. There's millions of questions. But to directly answer your question, the answer is you've got to prepare. So whether it's going to be a trip, whether it's going to be a test, it's not doing something the night before. That's the worst time to do it. Yeah. It's actually preparing days before. So I usually give that advice to my business people who go on trips, you know, going across the seas to help them with jet lag, people taking tests. The, the, the key thing I'm going to say is whatever you do, don't take any sleeping medication yeah. before that would be the worst <laughs> advice. Mm-hmm. And I think me and you know, because we live our life taking Comlex and USMLE day after day, yeah. that, hey, if you're not where you are, want to be a couple days before the test, the, the worst thing you do is pull an all-nighter. There's right. nothing good happens when you're going to be sleep deprived. Right. So the answer is prevention, prevention. Awesome. I, I want to kind of shift over to the other side of the spectrum, and that's actually sleeping too much. because i've i've experienced this before and i i have i know people that have as well so how about people that are sleeping too much maybe like 10 hours a day like they just feel like they can't get out of bed um or maybe feeling like they want to get out of bed sooner and they just can't and uh what what are your what are your what are the biggest causes for that and what are some solutions Excellent. So let me go back to my two cues, quantity and quality. You know what I mean? So most of us should be doing well around seven to eight hours of sleep. Most of us, you know, but if you're not and you're sleeping, need to sleep more, then you wonder, are you getting that good quality? Meaning that 
maybe, excuse me, you have something like untreated, undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea. Why? Multiple arousals during the night, never getting to the deeper stages like REM sleep. Get tested for it. And maybe that's one reason why you're hitting the snooze button in the morning, one reason why you're sleeping extra. But at the same token, there are patients that have what we call some kind of hypersomnolence. So we talked about insomnia, can't sleep. There's some people that have hypersomnia, hypersomnia, where they're sleeping too much. What are some of the disorders that fit into there? Maybe something like narcolepsy. And let me just say this. Mm-hmm. Narcolepsy doesn't mean you're sleeping all the time. It does not. Mm-hmm. In fact, people forget that people with narcolepsy have multiple awakenings throughout the night. But this is someone who may sleep a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have something called idiopathic hypersomnia where they're sleeping longer. So mm-hmm. the answer is, is that you have to get a good history, good physical exam. What are we missing? Mm-hmm. And the key thing, and this applies to any sleep disorder, is how are you functioning during the day? Mm-hmm. For example, if someone comes and says, I'm only sleeping six to seven hours during the day, Dr. Raj, but I won two gold medals, a Pulitzer Prize, I'm getting an Academy Award next week, I'm not going to treat you. <laughs> you're, doing, you're, doing you're doing pretty good. <laughs> so I think you know people forget it's not just what you're doing at night. It's how you're functioning during the day. That's the main question I always ask after I start treating someone. Right. And th- th- and those kind of things can contribute to other things as well, like, you know, like depression. And um, I guess depression is the big one, really, when it comes to sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say this, that depression, I mean, when we said who in the olden days would go on to be a sleep doctor, there were really three physicians, the pulmonologist, the neurologist, and the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And the key thing is, is that it's not surprising that people who have insomnia who has sleep disorders commonly have anxiety insomnia medications and let me give you the classic chicken and the egg they -hmm. always say well are you depressed because you have insomnia or is is depression giving you the insomnia itself Mm -hmm. and then it's an interesting question (laughs) i know then on top of that you use classically SSRIs, which is a category of drugs called select serotonin reuptake inhibitors for the your, your listeners, Prozac and Soloft and all these things. Mm-hmm. You know what the most common side effect of these medications are? Insomnia. Mm. So you're not going to be stopping these meds if they have depression. Yeah. So it's a never-ending circle, which is very, very hard to treat. So that's why you have to be patient. It's not giving the, another medication on top of things. It's trying to get to the root cause. Awesome, awesome. So, Dr. Raj, what, what are your top practical tips to sleeping better and you know having a better, better rituals at least maybe or having better sleep hygiene? Sure. Um, what's your best advice? I mean, one of my favorite things is something called sleep restriction, set bedtime and set wake time. And I'm going to give you a little tip because I am a dad, you know, and I have a, actually a three and a half and a, and a four and a half year old. They're amazing. His name is Aiden. Her name is Mina and they're great kids. But my tip for everyone is this, is that, you know, on Friday I had a hard week. My wife, who's also a physician, she had a hard week and, you know, my kids are tired and you don't want to fall into this trap where how do we reward ourselves or our kids? It's like, Hey, it's Friday night. Stay up. You know what I mean? Go watch yeah. some Netflix. Let's go out and watch a movie. Let's get a sitter and go out and do something. And then what do you do on Saturday? You have a buffer you sleep in Sunday you sleep in and then what happens it's Monday morning 
yeah. and you're sleep deprived. So the answer is the way that I hope most people will treat themselves, their family out after a hard week is get up together as a family on Saturday morning, get exposed to bright light if possible, do something as a family, get some exercise, and even on weekends and holidays, try to keep, you know, try to keep that set bedtime and set wake time. I know it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I know that we're all human and we all need to take a break sometimes, but that's one of the, the, the best tips. And I also want to reemphasize if your listeners haven't really got that theme, be careful with that technology. It yeah. really is a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? Put that cell phone away just in case, you know. But I'll give one last tip because I want to give something interesting for everyone. Everyone always hears a generic tip. <laughs> there was actually a study by NASA and they found out that people would get better sleep and actually would help their snoring if they put a pineapple plant in their bedroom. Hmm. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So people always that. ask me why. <laughs> and so I love this answer. And it's the truth, which is that, you know, plants and humans are the perfect pairing. Why? What do we do as humans? We suck up all that wonderful oxygen. We spit out what? Carbon dioxide. Yeah. Plants, based upon what they do called photosynthesis, they clean up all that carbon dioxide and give us back what? Oxygen. oxygen. Yeah. So when they, you're in the bedroom and they're giving back that oxygen, it, it comes in the form of what? Water, which is what? Moisture. And that's mm. why when you're sleeping, you want to naturally breathe through your nose. But when it, the room is very dry, like in Michigan because you're using the heaters yeah. – it gets all crusty and dry. You start breathing through your mouth, and that's why you wake up with that dry mouth. So oh, wow. one thing that can be—I know—one thing this that this is this is strike this is striking <laughs> home for me because I I live in an apartment and uh, yeah. I'm on the 22nd floor, yeah. and my room gets so dry sometimes. I'm like, this there is driving go. me crazy. Yeah. So all plants do this, but it just so happens that the the pineapple plant, according to NASA, does it the best. So, yeah, I just want to give you a little different, something, a different tip for your listeners. I love that. I love that. (laughs) How about some like just like right before you like two, three hours right before bed? What are the best? What are the most important things to be doing? I'd say having a strict schedule. And I'm going to give you answers for people with kids and people without. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People forget the importance of a good meal, you know, not eating too late, watching what you eat, being a good mom and dad, not giving the kid the Nutella. And I got to say, Nutella is pretty damn good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and holding that sugar content and being scheduled to have a regimen because I know that it doesn't only apply to my children, it applies to me and my wife that there's a certain time we turn the TV off, we try to encourage book reading and, and try to be, you know, stringent about it. So that's why, you know, when it comes to people often ask me questions about teenagers and high schoolers and everything, it's not about pointing the finger at other people. It's about pointing the finger at myself and trying to be a good role model. So the answer is have a regimen, stick with it. Remember, it's not about pointing other people's faults, but always pointing at yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. <laughs> You've been great, honestly. I feel like this has been some really, really good stuff in this interview, and I, I love it. I want to. I know you're also. You also do a lot of teaching. You're very passionate about teaching, and uh, you know you teach even like medical students like myself, USMLE mm-hmm. one, two, and three. And you have an interesting thing going on now called, and it's a book series called Beyond the Pearls. So this is more <laughs> for like the medical students. If any of you guys are listening. I just wanted yes. to let Dr. Rash talk a little bit about Beyond the Pearls. Thanks. You know, and one reason you were asking me, well, why did I call you and I wanted to do this interview with you? I love the name of your show, 
Beyond Medicine. Yes. I'm like, why wouldn't Beyond Thank the Pearls you. be Beyond Medicine? I you noticed share that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, you know, actually, I prepared. I have my book right here, so I wanted to show everyone. And the reason why I'm happy, couple things. Number one, um, if you ever see that the co-author in this book right here, that's her name is Michelle Kulai, mm-hmm. and she's my wife. Oh, no, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's written by my wife and I. And I also wanted to say this, that, you know, my wife is uh, an osteopath and uh, she I'm very, very proud of her. And, and I wanted to brag about her for one second. She oh, graduated sorry. from a pen and she's very proud of that. She's a rheumatologist. And we formed this series together. And what we believe in is integrating USMLE and Comlex step one, two and three. And um each case is kind of like a Scooby-Doo, kind of like a whodunit, you know, mm-hmm. and we integrate basic science. And I really the theme I wanted to tell your students is you guys are spending lots of money. There's so many books out there. And yeah. I felt bad having one book for step one, one book for comics, one book for this. It's one book you start from your first day in med school and you keep it because it keeps on integrating. And that's what the okay. U.S. Assembly and Commerce is like. It's integrating the knowledge. So there's one for medicine, OB-GYN, PED, surgery, psych. And the way, if you want to learn more about it, get free videos, go to my website, beyondthepearls.net. Amazing, amazing. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, I didn't know that you had all of the subjects. That's so. I'm I'm actually interested. At, I'm gonna try, <laughs> I'm gonna get myself a copy. Um, well, you know what, Rami? For you, I'm gonna try to get you a copy for free. Don't worry oh, about it. Oh, <laughs> you're too nice. Thank you. Um, and I always end the segment with um, asking people, asking my guests, what does Beyond Medicine mean to you? And I ask this because it almost, a lot of people that I ask, it kind of gives them a sense of going further, doing more. Um, And that's kind of my interpretation of Beyond Medicine. And I would love to hear, just just my personal experimentation, what your idea of Beyond Medicine is or what it means to you. Sure. Well, you know, I would say that just like my book, and that's why I think we have a bond together. And, and you that, called it Beyond the Pearls, which is which I think that you already kind of understand this <laughs> underlying exactly. thing. Yeah. I think, you know, I always say that any one of us, med students, residents, fellows, attendings, you know, you know we're all innate, innately smart, for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? Well, I thank think you. that... Yeah, I think, you know, but what really will take you to the next level in whatever you want to do in life is going beyond that, whether it's going to be the effort you make in medicine, whether it be branching out into other fields. And when I say think about your show and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, you realize that it's not only about medicine and that other things that really make me happy is that it's educating, not just a med student, but whether it be your listeners, whether it's going to be my respiratory techs, my nurses, that's what education is and talking to masses. And not only that, trying to integrate it with media. Media is our enemy, media is our friend, but that's where we're going. And if you could find a special recipe to integrate media, education and trying to be a good doctor trying to help patients that's going beyond medicine in my work exactly that's why i put in my book beyond the pearls trying to incorporate all those together i love it i love it and for my listeners um the goal of our of our podcast beyond medicine is to really help you connect to your best self to your best health and you know giving you the tools from the world's leading experts like Dr. Raj on topics that relate to medicine and giving you practical advice that you can apply to your life to to further enhance your life. 
And that's what my goal with this podcast is. And I thank you, Dr. Raj, so much for, you know, being a part of this and for helping our audience, you know, learn how, learn the basics of sleep and what's going on. And I I would love to have you on here again at some point. That would be amazing. Uh, You know, Rami, I'm very proud of you. You're going to do a great job. You are doing a great job. And this is going to be the first of many interviews together. I think our next one, we're going to tackle these lungs. We're going to do a lung topic together, okay? I would love that. That would be be (laughs) amazing. And one more thing, Dr. Raj, how can people connect with you, um, follow you on social media, and follow your journey? Oh, wonderful. If you want to, and I would love you guys to, the best way is to go to beyondthepearls.net, and it has all the links to Instagram, love being on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to see more things that are more like uh, when I'm doing, like you said, the doctors or some yeah. kind of Bill Nye saves the world, I do have that media site. It's uh, my name, rajdescupta.com. Those are the two ways to get a hold of me, okay? Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Raj. It's been a pleasure You're speaking with you. You too. Hey podcast, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope we brought you some practical, good advice that you can apply to your life. Guys, if you could please do us the favor of sharing this, telling people about it, leaving us a comment, subscribing, all that will help us grow and will help us spread our message. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go to our website and click support and it will help us grow this podcast and continue doing what we are doing and bringing you more high-quality guests like the one you just heard. Thank you, guys. Peace.